One of my daughters called this morning very early. She knew I would be up to wish me a happy Father's Day. In our conversation, she asked me what I was preaching on, to which I replied, the apostolicity of the church. To which she replied, what is that? (laughs) Think of a pastor's daughter asking that kind of question. I then referred her to the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. This seemed to satisfy her, though she still, uh, I suspect, may not know exactly what apostolicity is. And in case you might fall into that category, this sermon is on the apostolicity of the church. It is on the church of the apostles, the apostles that Jesus chose to represent him. I'm continuing my series on the Apostles' Creed. Remember, I started this series because someone had told me, why do we adhere to these creeds? And I don't know what all those phrases in there mean anyway. Well, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of the Christian faith. It just makes some statements. We have to elaborate on them. But all of them uh, represent major teaching points of the Bible. And the church has used that creed for uh, 1,800 years. It is a a creed that was an early baptismal creed to prepare people for baptism. And so we we want to, though, today uh, encroach on the Nicene Creed a bit because the word apostle does not appear in the the, uh, Apostles' Creed, and it was not written by the apostles, by the way. And so we're going to encroach just a bit, but implicit in the phrase that you have in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is the idea of apostolicity. So today then, we want to examine uh, what it means to be an apostolic church. In fact, the word apostolic in front of the word church is one of the marks of the church. The marks of the church from ancient times were considered to be its oneness, its holiness, its apostolicity, and its catholicity. My text today is really 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, and I'll also throw in verse 8 and then look at a few other verses. What I want you to understand is this, that the church must remember always that its foundation is upon Christ and his apostles, and that the church must never allow itself to be removed from this foundation if it is to be a true instrument of the kingdom of God. The text then is found in the New Testament, and this text is interesting. I read one commentator who simply said, this is the classic text in the New Testament to teach the doctrine of the apostolic uh, teaching of the church or the apostolic founding of the church. Uh, Maybe Paul's uh, last letter it is, and he is giving instruction to his colleague, Timothy, who no longer is a young man, but probably is in his late 40s. He could possibly even be 50. The first point that I want to make is this. When we confess 
the church to be an apostolic church, we are confessing the unique establishment of the Christian church. The Christian church is unique. And as you read through this passage, you see that the Apostle Paul understands it to be unique. He says to Timothy in this charge, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And these things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted in trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And then he goes on to add to this. He assumes that there will be hardship. So he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Now notice Paul is making a distinction here between the church's establishment and the affairs of the world. I'll come back to that. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And so Paul here in one sense is the commanding officer, but he is just simply the penultimate the ultimate commanding officer is Jesus Christ, who commanded his church in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, Paul is giving a commandment to, if you will, his lieutenant, Timothy. And Timothy, when his course is run, must give the same commandment to others. And so, Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he completes according to the rules. So the church has rules to follow in its establishment. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. There will be a harvest in this labor and we all share in it. Then Paul says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And let me read verse 8. Remember, he says, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's, there's no doubt in this passage that Paul sees the church as a unique establishment upon Christ and yes, upon himself. He's that apostle that was born out of due season, the last one to be included in the foundation. And he says that this church that he's passing now on its responsibilities to Timothy has, and then Timothy is to pass that on to others. Sometimes we forget as Christians that we have a unique institution. I, I know that ministers do. I know that ministers forget what the church is about. And so if ministers forget about what the church is to do and to be, I am sure that Church members do the same thing. When we confess an apostolic church, we're confessing that the church is unique in its foundation and in its duties and privileges. 
It's not an accident, for instance, that Jesus said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that belong to God. And it is out of this kind of mindset that Jesus had that he established his church and gave it specific instructions as to what he wanted to do. Now, the church is unique in this respect, that it has a job to do that no other institution has been asked to do, nor in some ways equipped to do. It's also true that the church is not equipped, for instance, to do anything but to do what the Lord has commanded. It's a unique institution. It's established for a purpose. Now, this means if the church remains true to its apostolic purpose, then it will be a faithful servant of the Lord, and it will be effective in its ministry, and there will be fruit that we can all share in. But if the church wanders from its way and begins to get involved, let's say, for instance, the worldly affairs. How how tempting it is for me to get involved in politics from the pulpit. You don't know. But I do know that's not my calling. It's very tempting. I do involve myself when it touches on clear matters of morality and, and real matters of spirituality and religion. But the church was not established to frame a constitution for the country, for instance. The church was not established to set forth its own theories of how the economy should work. We have no more expertise than anyone else. You can do that as Christian citizens. What the church is to do is to be faithful to her Lord in her establishment. And when we confess an apostolic church, we are confessing that something has been passed on to us called a treasure. Or Paul later calls it, or earlier calls it in this chapter, a deposit that we are to be faithful to and that we are to exercise. Karl Barth, who is uh, somewhat more liberal than uh, many theologians in our tradition, nonetheless was quite conservative in the scheme of things. And when he was called to Savonville in Switzerland to pastor his first church, He had been reading liberal theology all of his life up to that point. And he said, I got to the pulpit and I realized that I didn't have anything to say from the Bible. I'd hardly studied the Bible. So he got down Heinrich Hepp. A systematic theology was of the old school, an old straight-laced Orthodox uh, theologian. And he went through Hep, reading him line upon line, and he Hep kept taking him to the Bible and finally realized, I'm supposed to preach the Bible. Up to that point, all he had learned is how to shape society and to influence it in a certain way. And he finally discovered something that the apostles passed on, that we are to be faithful to our calling. What is that calling? Well, not only is the church uniquely established, the church in some sense is the incarnation of the presence of Christ. Let us not forget that. Jesus said when he commanded his apostles, I will be with you and I will be in your midst. And what does Paul say? He reminds Timothy of this same thing, that the church can never be the church without the presence of Christ filling his body and temple. 
It's a place where the Lord is. When we meet here on every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, I wish we had a bell tower out there to strike the time for the whole neighborhood to hear. Called to worship. God is here to meet us. When we assemble in his presence, he's with us in a special way that he's not with you as an individual. He's with his people. He's in the tent of meeting. You come into his presence and we are to come with singing and thanksgiving and ascribe that glory that's due his name. And let me say, this is a unique opportunity for Christ is in our midst and we worship the true and living God. And you only have that and want to do that, I believe, if Christ first is in your heart. I had some lady to tell me some years ago, she said, you know, I quit church. I'm tired of going to church and hearing them preach about sin and repentance and confessing your sins. I'm tired of wallowing in the dirt like a worm. She had missed the whole point, hadn't she? Apparently, she was not meeting for the divine purpose for which the church was established. She had lost a sense of worship. And let me tell you, when you lose a sense of worship and who God is, you begin to lose everything. Every last thing. The reason that Isaiah the prophet, for instance, is so adamant against idolatry is because when you lose God, you lose sight of everything. It is the church's institution to remind you of who God is and what he requires of you and what it means to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is to be done by flesh and blood people like you and me in the history and the time and place in which we live. When we confess to be an apostolic church, we are saying we are being faithful to what the apostles handed over to us in their generation down to the present. We must never forget that foundation and what it is. But let me go on to say that church is founded not only upon the apostles, it is the place where the Holy Spirit is. On the day of Pentecost, when our Lord uh, came in the Holy Spirit, Peter was preaching a sermon to his people, and the Holy Spirit came in a powerful way. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is that one who gives gifts to, to his people and to his church. The church of the apostles has been equipped by the Holy Spirit to do its work. It's received gifts. Now, let me emphasize this, that we need every last one of you you have God's gifts. And we make a family. And when we don't appreciate your Holy Spirit equipment, if you will, and your gifts and your talents, we're impoverished for that sake. The church uses all of God's gifts. Part of the establishment of the church is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to his people so that it might function as a body. Let me go to my second point. The Church of the Apostles is a teaching church. Now, as you look in chapter 2, uh, you begin to see something in 1 Timothy that is very, very important. He tells him to teach. To teach. Now, I want to turn back to, chap uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I mean, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in this passage of Scripture, 
an earlier occasion. 2 Timothy is Paul's maybe last letter. 1 Timothy comes much earlier, maybe a decade or two earlier. He says to his younger colleague, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Now, he's not really young. He's probably in his 30s, but he lived in a society when age was revered. In the Jewish world, you were not considered to be an adult until you were around the age of 30. And in the Greek world, it was about 35. So there was a, if you will, a preference for those who were older. But he goes on to say to him, in spite of your 30-ishness, set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. to preaching and to teaching. He goes on to say, do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands upon you. The church of the apostles is a teaching church. It must teach the scriptures. It must read the scriptures. We have no other foundation, or if you will, we have no other constitution than what we have in the scriptures. It is what we are to teach, preach, and confess. Look what happens to the church when it loses this foundation. Think of that. We are to abide in the teaching of the apostles. For they were especially chosen by the Lord to represent him. They are the foundation. We are to remain then in the teaching of the apostles, which means to be faithful to Scripture. There is such a thing as apostolic succession, and apostolic succession is to make sure that we are successful in remaining true to what the apostles taught. It's a succession of doctrine. It's what Christ taught us to do and to be, what he commanded us. And this is to be handed down over and over. There's an interesting passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 that I want to call your attention to at this point. Look how Paul thinks of this. When he thinks of uh, the teaching that we have received, if you look at verse 13, he says this. Even though I was once a blasphemer, And a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was abundantly given to me. And so what he says here is that even though his former life was one of blaspheming, he now has has received the gospel. And here is a trustworthy saying. Full of acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to seek and to save sinners of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might be displayed in him. Not only are we to teach the doctrine of the apostles, the cutting edge of that teaching is the gospel. Let me say this, a church that fails to emphasize the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is a church that's going to grow cold in dead orthodoxy if that church remains faithful to other things. You must emphasize the gospel. I had a pastor when I mentioned this one time say, well, listen, I teach the whole counsel of God. That is terrific. But there must be, if you will, a tip to the spear. And that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a special calling to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is that deposit which we have received. Now, in every passage I've read to you thus far, make no mistake, you will find in those passages the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul talks about the grace that was bestowed upon him or that comes through the preaching of the gospel. An apostolic church is a church that is faithful to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me then jump to my final point briefly since time is getting away. Does apostolic church or apostolic secession include officers? As you well know, there are some churches that claim that if you don't have our teaching ministry and officers, you really don't have an apostolic church. Well, I'll preach another sermon next week on the unity of the church, and I'll talk about a lot of things along this line. But let me say this. It does include people. It may not fall out the way that some of you have been used to in your own backgrounds, where you have a church that you must believe in and come and do certain things or you're not right with God. There's some truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. The real truth is that God has committed his teaching to human beings that follow the apostles. And an apostolic church are faithful officers and followers who emulate the teaching, preaching, and ministry of the apostles. Through the, through the uh, apostolic ministry, we know that we are to baptize through the apostolic ministry, we know that we are to uh, serve the Lord's Supper. Through the apostolic ministry, we know we are to preach the gospel. Through the apostolic ministry, we know that we are to invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit. These represent the foundation upon which the church was founded. It's a tough uh, thing to be part of a church in the modern world. I heard an a, uh, interview uh, earlier today of a, um, a PCA pastor, his name escapes me now, down at Rede- Keller, Tim Keller. And he was being interviewed by Christiana An- Anpour, is that her name? And she was asking them about, he was asking him about the church. And what Tim essentially said was to this interviewer, very secular in her approach and background was, that when the church remains the church, then that's all that matters. It doesn't make any difference if people are not flocking to us, or it doesn't make any difference if there is a secular elite that are entirely opposed to us. As long as the church is being faithful to its calling, it's an apostolic church. And that is the church that Jesus founded. So when we confess that we are an apostolic church, we are confessing that we are following in the train of the apostles. And it is up to this generation to make sure that the next generation follows in our train. Praise be to God. Amen.